In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today we read the story of the selection uh, of the fishermen to be the disciples of Christ. And when Christ came to them, when they were in the middle of trying to catch some fish all night, and they had failed to do so, and they were in the morning despondent that they hadn't caught any fish, and so Christ told them to go out again and to cast the net. And their response was, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And we ask ourselves, these expert fishermen, whose this was their only career, this is what they've been doing their entire life, that know very well everything they need to do in order to, to, to catch fish. And who is it that this was, this man who was going to come and tell them, go out after you have been working all night to go and to do it again? It's like, imagine that you have been at your work for an entire night trying to solve some kind of a problem, and you with your degree that and an expert in this field have not been able to do it, and then you finally leave your work, and you go home, and then some random person comes up to you and says, oh, you need to go back and do this. Oh, and the thing they're telling you to do doesn't even make any sense, or it's something that you've already tried, and you would already exhausted and tired, you would never even think to yourself, okay, I'm going to drive back to work again in the middle of the night and try again. In our minds, we already tried everything that we could try. And yet, these men, these who later to become the disciples of Christ, they went and they said what? Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Nevertheless, at your word, I will push myself beyond exhaustion, beyond the level of exhaustion that I already have, and I will go and I will try again, simply because you'd said so, not because I am convinced that what you've said makes any sense. And this is an important principle for us to understand in the Christian life, that God tells us to do many things that we don't understand. And if we wait and wait and wait until we understand before we actually do the practice, do the action, follow what Christ has told us to do, then we will miss out on a great blessing. The blessing here that the disciples received after they went back and they continued their toil and they did what Christ told them to do was twofold. Not only did they receive a blessing of fish, which is what they were after to begin with, but they received a much, much bigger blessing which is the blessing of becoming an apostle of Christ, to being a disciple of Christ, to follow Christ and to, to, to be a part of something they could not even have imagined at that moment in time. And it all started because they were willing to listen to him and to go out again and to cast their net. So we ask ourselves, what is the criteria? What is the criteria of someone whom Christ chooses? Why is it that Christ chose these people? He could have chosen people that are more educated, more talented, more experienced, had more authority, had better reputation, were more well-known, and yet he chose these obscure people whom no one knew, who had very little experience with anything except fishing. And yet, he chose them because they were willing to listen to him. He chose them because they trusted him, that they were willing to do what he asked them to do, even when it didn't make any sense to them, and even when everything in them said, this isn't going to work. They didn't go out again thinking it was going to work. They did it simply because he asked them to go again. So we have to ask ourselves this question is, who of us really sees God this way? Who of us sees God in such a way that whatever he says to us, we will simply do? Okay. In, in Matthew 5.8, in the Beatitudes, it said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Right? And this is these disciples, they were pure in heart. They were simple in heart. They simply did what they were asked without grumbling, without complaining, without doubting, and they simply did it. They, they obeyed They obeyed the master. So we have to ask ourselves, how do we see God? Are we like the disciples? 
to wherever Christ leads us and shows us the path. We simply follow without question, or even if we question, even if we don't receive an answer, we're still willing to obey or follow or not. Oftentimes, people are seeking for proof. Show me proof that God is, exists. And it's easy for us to also think this way. But actually, those people who really saw God, when we read in the scriptures, those people who really, really saw God, obeyed before they received proof. They, 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 they obeyed and they had faith before they received proof. And as the reward of their faith, they got to see God clearly. They saw his work. They saw his wonders. You know, every, everything that, that God asks us to do, he doesn't come and he proved to us everything about himself at the beginning. And then he says, now that I have shown you and I've shown you the proofs that I can really do what I'm saying and I will do what I'm saying, now follow me. He doesn't do that. Maybe we wish that's how he operated. It would make things easier for us. Because then we would go into something confident, knowing that God are, is going to do a certain action, is going to do a certain thing. But he does it the opposite. He tells us first to do something, and oftentimes the thing he tells us to do is outrageous, something that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And then he says, trust me. And if we trust him, if we do according to what he said, then he rewards us by revealing himself to us and allowing us to see him more clearly. And there's a lot of examples of these things in scripture. For instance, someone like Gideon. God told Gideon, go and, 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 and you know, fight this army with only 300 people. And, yet, and Gideon believed him. And he went and he fought with only 300 people and he was victorious in the end. Or Moses, when he told him, go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And in the eyes of Moses, how am I going to do this? This, doesn't, this is beyond my, my ability to do. And yet, maybe after some convincing, Moses went and God showed him, showed him his power. So we have to like, also think in ourselves, like we, we cannot be looking for proofs all the time. We have to have faith. We have to believe that God is working. Uh, in the story of uh, the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, in this story, when the rich man was in Hades and he was speaking to Abraham in Hades and he was telling him, send someone to go to my family that are still alive on the earth so they don't have to come to this place to be tormented like I am. Show them some kind of proof. Give them something so that they can be convinced. And what is it that Abraham said? It says, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded the one rise from the dead. Meaning they have the scriptures. They have the word of God. This should be sufficient enough to believe. This should be sufficient enough to know how is it that we should live. Even if someone were to rise from the dead, this would not make any difference. And maybe even when, when we think of this, maybe a lot of us have heard about miracles. We've seen miracles or seen things happening in Egypt, or we know stories that have happened like with Pope Krolos and other people. And yet, despite the fact that we know that these miracles exist, and maybe we believe that these miracles happen, and yet it still has not motivated me enough to completely transform my life to live in a godly way. Maybe, maybe I, I know about these miracles. I know, I believe that Christ rose from the dead. And yet this is not enough to motivate me to live in a godly way. So how is it that we can be pure in heart? How is it that we are to be pure in heart? As the Beatitude says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If we really want to see God, what is God asking us? He's asking us to be pure in heart. What are some ways we can be pure? The first is we have to protect our senses. When we immerse ourselves in so many um, things in the world that kind of infiltrate our senses, 
that are always bombarding us with messages of the world or sinful messages or ungodly messages all the time, even when we do not accept these messages, even when we are not seeking these messages, simply being in the presence always of sin and our senses perceiving them, this begins to damage us. It begins to damage us. In, in Psalm 119.37, it says, Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Revive me in your way. Oftentimes, the things that we look at, the things that we hear, these things that we allow ourselves to be immersed in, this garbage, garbage in, garbage out type mentality or the type you know, experience that we have all the time is damaging to us. And because we are in it all the time, we struggle to, uh, to, to know what life would be like without these things. We struggle to see what would my life look like, how would I feel if I didn't have these addictions, the, always the, the constant media, the constant, uh, uh, like, like always being re requiring that I am being given something, like input all the time, input from the world, input, input, as opposed to my mind being free, that maybe I can focus uh, more on God. There is a prophecy in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 11. It says, And forces shall be mustered by them, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. In this prophecy of Daniel, he's speaking about this abomination of desolation, which is going to come to desecrate the temple. What is this abomination of desolation? There's different interpretations. Um, this was actually physically... Uh, fulfilled uh, when when the temple had, was desecrated, the temple of God. But in the New Testament, we are also the temple, right? We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. So we can actually be desecrated. We can have this abomination of desolation in us that desecrates us, who we are, the temple of God. Also in Proverbs twenty three twenty six, it says, My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Again, if we want to see God, then we have to observe his ways. We have to, to cleanse our senses so that our senses are pure and clean. We also have to cleanse our thoughts because purity is not just about what we do from the outside, but it is also what we do from the inside. Our outward actions is actually what determines, um, it's determined by my heart, right? So we can't just look at the outside. There's a reason why I do certain things from the outside. If I try to fix the outside only, I haven't really fixed the core of the problem. In Luke chapter 6, it says, A good man out of the treasure, good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. So if we are filled with wickedness from the inside, this wickedness is going to show from the outside. So we ask ourselves, how is it that I see God? I have to be pure from the inside. I have to seek purity, not just purity of action, which is why, you know, in, in our world, when we speak about morality and ethics in the world, in a worldly way, we are always speaking about the outside. If you think about all of the laws that exist, for instance, in a country, all those laws are governing our actions toward one another, saying, do not kill, do not steal, do not do certain actions to another person. Okay? And certainly those are part of Christianity as well. But God goes beyond this and says, what? Do not lust. Do not hate. Do not, do not have certain thoughts. Right? Do not have certain feelings. 
these, these thoughts and these attitudes that we have inside of us are very important, begin because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. How is it that God would dwell in us if, if his temple is full of abomination, right? So my, my job as a Christian is to, is to seek to be purged from the inside, not just to focus on the outside. The outside, of course, is important. But if I purge the inside and get to the core of how is it that I can be pure, how is it that I can be cleansed, the, the outside will come as well. Right? So we shouldn't just be focused on kind of a, a worldly morality. This is, not the, this is not what Christianity is about. It's not simply about being good. Right? It's I want to be with Christ. This is my, my goal. I want to be with Christ. And when I am with Christ, and when I am cleansed by Christ, and when I gain internal purity, then I will have external purity as well. Another requirement of seeing God is related to my will. Is related to my will. And I have in order to surrender my will to God, I have to surrender. If I really have a pure trust in God, then I will not rely on myself. Because I will acknowledge that I am limited and that God is unlimited. I will acknowledge that I am like a child and God is my father. And so I will follow my father and listen to my father because he knows better than I know. He is and he loves me. Okay. Maybe a child doesn't know where, we are, where, where they are going, but the parent of the child knows, and he takes the child in a safe place, in a good place, and in, in a place where he will enjoy, but only if the child agrees. How many times maybe the experience of parents that are trying to take their children to someplace good, to experience something good, and yet the child doesn't want to go there, and the child is afraid to go, maybe someplace new that they've never been before, some place the parents know the child is going to enjoy, but the child doesn't want to go because he's afraid. He's never seen it before. He just uh, doesn't want to go. And yet after some coaxing or maybe after some forcing, the parents finally bring the child to this place and the child really enjoys it. And they're so happy that they were there and they even want to go back again. But what was the problem at the beginning is the child didn't trust the parent. The child only trusted themselves. They said, I've never experienced this before. And so I'm afraid of it. I don't want to do it. And I, I, I will not do it. Okay. The same is true of us. God is leading us to a good place. He's, he's leading us in a good way. And yet we resist him because maybe the way scares us. Maybe the way is beyond our understanding. And I don't want to do it because to me, it doesn't make sense. But we don't realize that we are limited, that we are limited in our understanding. We are limited in our ability to know even what is good for us. This is why we need to surrender our will to God, trusting that God is good. In Isaiah 64, verse 8, it says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter, and all we are the works of your hand. All we are the works of your hand. You are the one fashioning us. You are the one molding us. You are the one making us into who we are. So we trust you. We don't grumble against you. I surrender my will to you. I'm willing to do what it is you ask me beyond what I want, even if it is not what I would have asked for myself. Again, look at the example of the disciples again. The disciples, if it were up to them, that entire, you know, that day when they woke up in the morning, they were not planning to give up fishing. This wasn't their goal. That, that was their whole livelihood that was their career that it is that's what it is that they did and yet in that moment when they saw christ's power and what he did and how he was able to give them a miraculous catch of fish they didn't seek after christ because they wanted the gift from him 
you know like like if 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 they were just fishermen that were just really happy that christ came and gave them like a huge amount of fish and now they're going to have a lot of money from the fish they would have how would they have responded they would have just kept the fish and be like thank you christ please come again every time that you know we, we need more fish because you're a great you know blessing on our business okay and maybe this is the way we think about god we think about i'm doing my thing and i want god to come and bless my thing and the more God blesses my thing, the more my thing is going to be successful. And so I want God to continue to bless it. Why? Not because it's of God so much, but because of myself. Because this is my will. This is what I want to do. But the disciples didn't do this. After this miraculous catch of fish, which was such a big catch that they couldn't even fit it in one net and they needed to have other boats come and to help them, they left the fish. They didn't even take the fish with them. They left the fish there and they followed Christ. So it transferred their understanding from that what matters in life is fish to what matters in life is God. And so I will follow God even if I have to leave behind the things that used to matter to me. And this is really when people begin to see God. This is really when the disciples began to see Christ and to see God and to know him is when they were willing to leave behind the obstacles, when they were leaving to leave behind the will, their will that they had from before and accept the will of God. God, you want me to go and to be a disciple. You want me to go and carry the cross. You want me to go and to sacrifice. I'm willing to do this because I want to follow you. And I'm willing to leave behind the things that used to bring me comfort, the things that used to bring me money, the things that used to bring me whatever it might be. Those things that I used to have, I'm willing to give them up because I want to follow you. If we see God as indeed the potter, then he is not simply a, uh, uh, you know, a Santa Claus. He is not simply someone coming to bless what I'm doing. He's actually the one who made me from scratch, from, from nothing. So we see him in a different way, right? I would not even be here if it weren't for you. What, it is, what is it that you want me to do? Tell me what you want me to do. When we surrender our will this way to God, then we see him. We see him clearly. But when all we want is God to just bless what I have chosen, even if it is not what he has chosen, then we will be frustrated and we will not see him in this way. Another characteristic of those who are pure in heart to see God is sincerity meaning someone who really cares about pleasing God and not pleasing man. We should do things with sincerity, not because we want to gain influence, not because we want to manipulate others, but simply because we want to do what's right. And we want to do what's right regardless of whether it is seen by people or not, whether people know that I'm good or whether people do not know that I'm doing good. In Isaiah 29, 13, it says, These people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me. Who is it that are we seeking to please? If we are seeking really to please God, then we are not going to offer lip service. Lip service is something that works for people. You know, I can go to someone and I can deceive them by telling them what they want to hear and convince them that I'm on their side, convince them that I like them, convince them that I agree with them, convince them of whatever because of my words. Okay? This does not work with God. There is no way that I can deceive him with my words. And so he looks straight into my soul and he sees exactly who I am and I cannot hide from him, that I cannot shield myself from him and he knows me. So I have to be sincere because any insincerity on my part is, you know, is a, is a direct attack on God. Who am I deceiving? I, I cannot deceive him. 
So when I speak to him or when I go about my day, I have to do things in sincerity. If I'm not sincere, it means I believe he is not with me. If I'm not sincere, it means I believe that he is not seeing what I'm doing, right? Or I don't care whether he sees me or not. And so a person like this, we will not see God. We will not see God if we are not sincere in our lives. Also, we have to be forgiving of others. In Ephesians 4, it says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God even as God in Christ forgave you. How is it that we can love God if we cannot love one another? How is it that we can love God if we do not love one another? And part of loving one another is forgiving one another. That we must understand that in our human relationships, we are going to be hurt and other people are going to hurt us. But this is not a license for us to attack. This is not a license for us to leave. This is not a license for us to you know, judge. No, what, when, when I am hurt in the relationship, my goal should be to reconcile as much as I can, as much as it is within my power to make peace, I should make peace. Now, sometimes it is not within my power. Sometimes I cannot. The, 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 the person that I am trying to reconcile with or make peace with doesn't want it. That's, that's fine. That's not up to me. But as far as it depends on me, my goal is what is to make peace with everyone, to have peace with everyone. And that means also forgiving, forgiving people when they have hurt me. In this way, we see God. We see God. God is actually the only one who can allow us to forgive. He can give us the strength to forgive. When I go to God and ask him for this power, for this strength, I will see him because I want him and I need him to give me the power to forgive. Also to not judge. In Romans 2 verse 3, it says, And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things, and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? How many of us judge other people for things that we ourselves do? Or how many of us judge other people for something in an area of weakness that they might have, whereas we have our own area of weakness, and we deserve judgment? God is asking us to have mercy on each other. If I do not show mercy, then I do not share this characteristic with God and I cannot see God. I only see God when I share with him who he is. Whatever characteristic God has, when I practice it, whatever virtue is in God and I practice it, this allows me to see God. But when I practice the opposite of God, then I cannot see him and I do not experience him. For instance, God forgives. God, does, God is not... Uh, wanting to judge us he wants to have mercy on us he wants to forgive us which is why anytime anyone repents of their sin god forgives how many times maybe have someone apologized to us or they have wronged us in some way and, and regretted it and yet we have not forgiven right god is asking us to forgive god is asking us not to judge we are in, we are the ones deserving of judgment each one of us individually deserves judgment from god and yet god gives us mercy Finally, God is asking us to love our enemies. The pure, those who seek God, do not return wrong for wrong. Okay? They seek to please God and obey his commandments. We want to please God and we want to do what he said. And part of that is loving your enemies. He says what? But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. This is difficult. It's very difficult for us to understand. We struggle to love those even who love us. We struggle that even those who love us, even those who are the closest to us, whether it be spouses or close family members or friends, we struggle to love them. 
How many of us have conflicts inside of our families with people that we care about, with people that care about us? If it is this difficult for us to love those who love us, how much more difficult is it to love those who hate us? And yet Christ is asking us to love everyone, love those who love us, to love those who hate us. In this way, what Christ said to the apostles, how will they know that you are Christians because of your love? Because love is divine. It is divine to love. To show a self-sacrificial love, this, is, this demonstrates that the power of God is working in us, that God is working. And this is a way that we can achieve this. Uh, this is a way we can see God. Every time I struggle, even if I am not perfected in any of these characteristics that we've talked about, any time I struggle to attain it, if I struggle to attain certain sincerity, I struggle to surrender my will, I struggle to forgive others, I struggle not to judge, I struggle to love my enemies, I struggle to do all of these things. In my struggle to do these things, we will see God. We will find Him. He will be present because He, he sees that we are doing all that we can to obey His commandment. And we are struggling for purity. And yet, if we ignore these, or if we decide that these are beyond our ability and we don't even try, or if we are directly you know, refusing to do any of these things, then we will find ourselves unable to see God clearly the way that he wants us to see. So in conclusion, in Titus chapter 1, verse 15, it says, To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure but even their mind and their conscience are defiled. So what we are able to turn any situation into purity. We're able to find purity in anything that we do. Even when we are in the midst of a situation that is full of sin, we can quench this, we can resolve this, we can purify this, we can, we can show love even in the midst of death. We can bring life even in the midst of death and light in the midst of darkness. People who are pure are not seeking after sin. Even though there might be sin around them, they are not attached to sin. They are not seeking sin. They are not attracted to sin. And so we're asking God to allow us to be pure like this. We cannot escape from sin in the world. The world is full of sin. And God is asking us to live in the world, but he's telling us, do not allow the world to live in you. You live in the world without the world living in you. We cannot escape it, but we can certainly remain pure while living in it. And this is our prayer, and this is what we ask God to grant us that we can maintain our purity and so we can see him even in the midst of a sinful world. And glory be to God forever. Amen.